0: Romans, back to Romans uh, chapter 10 this morning. Today's message I've titled, What do your feet look like? I am not asking you to take your shoes, your socks, or your nylons off and hoist them up over the chair in front of you and show me your feet. It's based on verse 15, where Paul quotes Isaiah. And he says, How beautiful are the feet. Of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things. Why do we have tracts on the back table? Why do we have those little scripture truth cards? Why do we have, well, the Gospel of John studies in the daily devotionals? Why do we have our services? Uh, Why do we have prayer meetings? Why do we have missionaries? Why do we do these things? How important is it? How important is it that you and I, as Christ's church, proclaim his gospel to the lost? I think all of us are going to say, it's important, isn't it? In the book of Romans here, because it has been a while since we've walked through it, I give us kind of a a survey summary of the book of Romans. And I have some blanks here for you. In this book of Romans, Paul first taught gospel truth in chapters 1 through 8. That's what the 1-8 stands for there, okay? That's not chapter verses 1 to 8. That's chapters 1 to 8. And the first chapter, number 1, he taught that all are lost. All are lost, none are righteous. And really, you could also put a dash 2 there. That's chapters 1 and 2. And that kind of goes also into, uh, actually one to three, but chapters two and three also give the second point, which I'll get to in a second. But back to number one, all are lost. He shows in chapter one, all Gentiles are lost. He shows in chapter two, all Jews are lost because they need to trust Christ. And without trusting Christ, They're relying on their good works. And that brings us then to number two. Works cannot save. Works cannot save. Jews frequently thought because they were Jews. They were right with God. And it has happened. I've talked to people, and probably you have too, who... Because they've been raised in, note the quote marks, Christian America or a Christian nation, that therefore they are Christians. That is not the case. Works cannot save. Number three, chapters three to five, only faith in Christ justifies. Only faith in Christ justifies. He uses that word justification a lot in chapters three to five. That basically means this. The only way to be right with God and God's standing is to have Christ's righteousness credited to your account. And the only way to have Christ's righteousness credited to your account so that you are, here's what justification means, to be declared righteous, the only way that can happen is if you trust in Christ, not your own good works. And when you trust, when you believe, when you rely on Christ alone, his righteousness is then credited to your account. He then teaches in chapter 6 through 8, number 4, that believers live righteous lives. Believers live righteous lives. How should someone who is justified live? How should they live? They should live holy lives. They've been declared righteous. They need to live that out in their daily lives not by their own strength, but by the Spirit's enablement. And so he taught this gospel truth, and then he gets to chapters 9 to 11, and this is the second main point. He explains why most of Israel has not believed in the gospel. Well, this good news was given to the Jews. I mean, what nationality is Jesus from? He's from Israel. He's the Jewish Messiah. Paul said at the beginning of the book of Romans, I preach the gospel to the who first? The Jew first, and also to the Greek. To the Jew, it's given all these promises. Why didn't most Israel believe then? And he explains that in chapters 9 to 11. Three points here. Why, why did most of Israel not believe? Well, number one, all our sinners And God saves only by his grace and mercy. He saves only by his grace and mercy. Remember, most Jews believed that they were God's people because of their physical connection with Abraham, because they obeyed the law, because they had all this outward external stuff. Paul said, no, that's not why anybody is saved. The only reason anybody is saved is because of God's grace and mercy that he shows to unbelievers. Number two, a second reason why most Jews are not saved is number two, verse 10, chapter 10. While Israel heard the gospel, most did not believe it. While Israel heard the gospel, most did not believe it. You might say, did they really hear all the gospel? Stop and think a minute for three years of Jesus' life and ministry on this, on this earth. What did he do? He didn't stay in one spot, did he? He went from city to city, village to village. And then, do you remember what he did with the 12 apostles? He sent them out. Sent them out to preach. They heard the gospel, but they did not believe it. That's the passage especially that we uh, read a little bit ago. And then chapter uh, number 3, chapter 11 Though most Jews are lost, the Lord will save them when Christ returns. The Lord will save them when Christ returns. This is chapter 11, especially if you want to turn your Bibles to chapter 11, verse 26. Chapter 11, verse 26 and 27. Chapter 11, verse 26. So all Israel, look at this, will be saved As it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Who is that Deliverer? That is the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes again, Israel will mourn, Zechariah says. They will weep in repentance and faith. Back to chapter 10, especially verses 14 to 17. As I said, beginning in your daily devotionals this week, Thursday and Friday, I'll be providing a a question and answer uh, through that gospel. Because that gospel is written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the Christ, and that believing you will have eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Do you want eternal life? The only way to have it is by believing, trusting, depending, relying on who Jesus is and what he has done. Why am I doing that? And why am I urging you to go through that yourself? Well, to equip you to give the gospel. That's one of the main purposes of our times on Sunday mornings. We're worshiping the Lord and you're receiving teaching as we sing, because when you sing, you're teaching, teaching the word. And when I'm teaching here, I am giving you information so that you can be a fruitful Christian for the Lord. Why is it essential that we give the gospel to the lost? What do we read in verse 14? How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? If the lost do not hear, they will not believe. And if they do not believe, they will not be saved. How, Christian, were you saved? Were you just lying in your bed one day and you looked up at the wall and said, yeah, I'm going to trust Christ. Just out of the blue, you never heard of God, you never heard of Jesus Christ, you never heard about sin. And just out of the blue, or maybe you were outside one night and looking up at the stars and you know what? If I connect the constellations, yeah, triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Is that how you were saved? That's impossible. How were you saved? You heard truth. Truth. That hearing may have been audible, somebody telling you. It may have been hearing that truth through a tract. That's how my father in law was saved. He got a gospel tract, my father in law did. And we often say tracts are a waste of time, they're a waste of money. It's like sowing seed. Sometimes there's growth, sometimes there's not. In fact, more often than not, you won't get a response, and that shouldn't discourage us. What did Jesus say? Broad is the way to life? No. What did he say? Broad is the way to what? And narrow is the way that leads to. How many go the way to destruction? How many go to the way to life? Most go the way to destruction. Few go to the way to life. And so don't be surprised and don't be discouraged, Christian, when so few Truly trust Christ. Many are called, but few are chosen. I want to walk through verses 14 to 17, walk through this with you uh, to teach and to challenge and to encourage you. This is essential to who we are, it must be as a church. I walked in here this morning and even though I was in here yesterday just making sure things are right, I still walk through the, bat- the rat bathrooms. Make sure you just never know what might happen. And I mean, what could happen- go wrong in a building? That's brand new for us, right? Well, thankfully nothing. But I walked in the men's room, kind of looked around and I stopped and you're going to think I'm weird. But I thought, wow, this is great. Who, why, why would you do that in a bathroom? Well, think back a year. Think back six months to what we had for bathrooms then. We had bathrooms, though. It was indoor plumbing, so don't look a gift horse in the mouth, even though, you know, I had an idea. I shared it with Trace, and he's all for it, so therefore it's going to happen. <laughs> As I was in the bathroom this morning, I thought, I took pictures of a, the community center in all the different rooms before we were done there, and I took pictures of the men's room of the community center. I'm going to blow it up. I'm going to put it on the wall in the men's room. I'm going to put one in the wall of the ladies' room. That'll give you good vibes, won't it? Pictures of peeling paint. Is that a bug? Did we miss a spot? Pictures of water coming down from the ceiling. What can happen And I've talked about this, and we've all talked about this. What can happen now that we're in our own building? We can do what? Settle down. And we can become used to it. And we can lose sight of, why are we here? Why did God save us? Why did God establish Oral Bible Church? It wasn't so that we can just sit here and enjoy it. It was so that we will be on our feet doing what with those feet? Sharing the good news. Number one, verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Calling on Christ requires believing on Christ. Calling on Christ requires believing on Christ. No place for any self-righteousness here. I look right, drive right, do right, all those kinds of things. No, it's believe. And that is the demand of the gospel message. The gospel message's command is repent and believe. Yes, it's an invitation, come and trust Christ, but it is also from whom? It's from God and is a command. In order to believe, you have to have something that you, there's content to it, there's truth. And so sinners must believe who God is. Who is God? Sinners must understand what sin is and that they are sinners. Sinners must grasp and recognize and believe with all their heart that their good works cannot save them. Sinners must believe and grasp and depend with all their heart that only Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who became man, who died and rose again, he's the only one who can save them. They must believe that I have to trust in Christ. This is the content of the gospel that they must believe. Number two, in the middle of verse 14, how shall they believe in him of who they have not heard? Number two, believing on Christ requires hearing about Christ. Hearing about Christ. Wrapped up with hearing is understanding. The facts of the gospel again. They have to be believed so that you can call and and, and turn to the Lord. He says hearing more than reading because most in New Testament times couldn't read. They learned about things by word of what? Mouth. Or people who would be paid to give out announcements. They were public heralds. Hear ye, hear ye. Well, they didn't say ye back in the first century. That was how they communicated. And so that's the only way to learn about the truths of the gospel is by communicating that, speaking it, writing it, giving it. There is no gospel in the stars. It's impossible. The heathen and deepest, darkest... Uh, what city shall we pick? Chardon? Ashtabula? Orwell? Cleveland Andover, over pick the city who's never heard about the Lord the only time that they know about Jesus is because it's a swear word to them they don't know anything about him. they will not just out of the blue whoa I'm a Christian it doesn't happen that way people are not saved because of the gospel seen in life They see Christians and how they live. And on the basis of just seeing a lifestyle, they learn about the triune God. They learn about sin. They learn about Jesus Christ. You cannot gain that truth just by seeing how someone lives. I'll address that in a little bit. Is it important how you live? Absolutely. There's no such thing as believing and calling on the Lord and hearing about him by a gospelized society and culture. There's a lot of Christians out there who describe themselves as culture warriors. and We need to win the culture to Christ. Folks, culture is the outworking of the human heart. What did Jeremiah tell us about the human heart? It's deceitful and wicked. The only way you will see culture changed is if they're born again. That's the only way. And only then will they do what's right of their own heart, Well, if we establish laws, that will get people to be right. How'd that work for Israel? They had a perfect law from God, didn't they? I'm not talking about nation building, that sort of thing. That's a different message. I'm just saying people aren't saved by that. They must hear and understand the facts of the gospel. Number three, end of verse 14. How shall they hear without a preacher? Hearing about Christ, number three, requires telling about Christ. You're ready to put preaching words. Yeah. You have to scribble it out. And you put telling. That's telling. Hearing about Christ requires telling about Christ. He Christ alone is the truth that you give. The message that you proclaim. Um, don't talk to them about some really intricate uh, doctrinal issue. It's not that those aren't important. It's just that what should you be telling an unbeliever? There is a God. They're sinners. They can't save themselves. They need to trust in Christ and they need to turn and believe in him. That's what unbelievers need. Don't think about preach here in a verse 14. Uh, 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 just You're thinking about, you know, well, our Sunday sermon. That's not really what it's being talked about. This is the action of a herald. Even that... It's just you're telling someone, you're talking, you're communicating a message, you're proclaiming it. And something else, when you're giving this message, whose message is it that you're giving? Is it yours? It's God's, isn't it? There's authority behind that. The only thing that you can say that will help the lost be saved is to tell them what God has given to you. No one can be saved without hearing the gospel, without telling the gospel. It's not from you. It's not from me. It is from God. So number four, verse 15. How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Number four, telling about Christ requires going to do so. I have been amazed over the years of uh, there's a a branch of teaching that I agree with some parts of it, but they've taken it too far. Isn't that the case so often? um, Where they say, uh, that there's a distinction between Israel and the church. I'm all bored with that. Absolutely different purposes, different origin, different destinies, uh, completely different. God's salvation is the same always. It's by faith in the Lord and trusting in him, but different things that God was doing. But then they, they say the commission that Jesus gave to the apostles, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, Acts 1-8, that was given to those apostles. Paul did not teach it. And we need to look to Paul's letters and Paul's letters alone. And so therefore, they say, we are not responsible as Christ's church to take the gospel to the lost. What do you think of that? Well, I say, what did Paul, Paul, just say here? How shall they preach unless they are sent and going? And how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. What makes their feet beautiful? They got holy pedicures. No, that's not it. Their feet are beautiful. Why is this expression used? Well, that's how they traveled then. You know, we look out at the parking lot back there and I see some beautiful minivans. No. Beautiful SUVs, maybe. Beautiful trucks, guys say, yeah. To see the feet of someone who's bringing good news and you're without hope and you needed to be saved is to express in so many words, it is so good to see you. We put it sometimes this way. You are a sight for sore eyes. I am so glad to see you. The actual feet of gospel messengers in those day and age would have been dirty and smelly But those who need saving from God's wrath, do they care about the looks? Those who are lost, do they care about the smell of the feet? No. And there's some great application there, isn't there? I am thankful for a nice bathroom here. I am thankful for a clean auditorium. There's nothing wrong with that. We should strive, I think, to have uh, these things done so it's not a distraction. But folks... Did God bless and use this word and save souls when we had a meeting place that wasn't as nice and neat and clean, that had sporadic heat and no air conditioning? He did. He did. God doesn't save by externals. He saved through the message sent and brought by those who had dirty, stinky, physical feet. And it brought it to them. God has you where you're at, where you live, where you work. That is your mission field. You're the feet of the good news there that you come in contact with. Christ sent you there. Verse 16 and 17. little arrow there on your sheet. The fact is that most of Israel did not obey the gospel, verse 16. It says here in verse 16, they have not all obeyed the gospel. Who's the they referring to? It's Israel. Israel has not all obeyed the gospel. Some did. Some were saved. Some did trust Christ, but most did not. How did most of Israel respond? They didn't obey the gospel. And we say, well, wait a minute here. You're saved by believing, but Paul says, obey here. And it throws you for a loop. It throws you for a loop. If you're thinking about faith, is simply you have head knowledge. Is head knowledge important for faith? It's essential. you got to have content. But that's not all it is. It is something you believe and understand in your head. You accept as true in your heart, and you submit to with obedience with your will. What is the thing that must be obeyed about the gospel? What did Paul tell the Philippian jailer when the Philippian jailer said, How can I be saved? What did Paul tell the Philippian jailer? He said, What? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Was that a suggestion? That was a command. What did Paul tell the Athenians in Acts 17? God is now commanding all men everywhere to repent. The gospel message says, these are the facts. God created you. He is holy. He is good and right. You have fallen short of his glory. You've sinned against him. You've broken his law. You can't save yourself. He sent his son, perfect, lived the perfect life, died for sinners, rose from the dead, you must believe this message. They did not, what's the O word here in verse 16? They did not obey that message, meaning they did not believe that message. They're part and parcel of the same thing. And that was the case in Isaiah's day because Paul quotes Isaiah at the end of verse 16. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed a report? Most Jews in Isaiah's day didn't believe it. And that was the same case in Paul's day. The same unbelieving, disobeying response. Paul summarizes everything in verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this is the only content, ground. And the rest of saving faith, it is the gospel message. The word, look at this, of God. Who's it come from? The creator. Not mortal man. You must tell heralds, preachers. We could uh, maybe amend and uh, edit our little statement, who's the minister of Oral Bible Church, and ask who's the preacher of Oral Bible Church. We are, but we both have women preachers, so we got to kind of herald, okay? Messengers, witnesses. We are we are what has god said don't add to it don't subtract from it this verse is so important verse 17 it says how faith comes about by look at me by what by hearing, hearing and hearing by the that tells us how faith comes they need to hear and it's given by god in his word it's not lifestyle evangelism it's not a social gospel it doesn't bring saving faith. Your life, I mentioned this earlier, your life does matter. It must match up with what God says in his word. It must support the gospel. I mean, what is it saying to an unbeliever if you're saying you need to repent of your sin and trust Christ and you're living a sinful life? Why should I believe it? You're living a sinful life. You're a hypocrite. This isn't saying we have to be perfect, okay? We should strive for that. But it's talking about having a life that matches up and supports the gospel. But that's not enough. They have to hear. Hear the truth and understand it and believe it. There are some wonderful truths that we need to take home from this, from these verses here. The first truth I'd have you remember It's not about how good your feet look and smell. It's not about that. It's about what they bring. You might not have an education. You might not be the best looking. You might not have the greatest speaking ability. But can you bring this message? Every Christian can. Every Christian must. A second truth. It's not about you. It is not about you. You're just simply giving this message. You don't have to be inventive. You don't have to be creative. Some people are really good speakers. Other folks, straightforward, black and white, this is it. Kind of like you've got Luke. Remember what Luke was? He was a physician. He used big words and complex grammar. Then you got John. What was John's occupation? He was a fisherman. He didn't have that education, but he talked about light and darkness and right and wrong and salvation and judgment and belief and unbelief. The gospel goes forth. Who you are. A third part is how people respond to you. Remember what we remembered? Wide is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate. Most people go that way. Few go that way. When people, when people reject the gospel that you give. It is a sad thing, but you need to remember who do they answer to. They don't answer to God. You're the messenger. You're just the herald. You're God's ambassador. Don't take it personally. We weep. We're sad. But don't take it as a personal attack. You are giving whose message? God's message. Number four, I have you write down a passage, Ephesians 6.15. Ephesians 6.15. Feet that proclaim the gospel does at least two things. The first, as we've seen here, it brings soul saving truth to the lost. But do you remember what Paul teaches about at that last part of Ephesians 6? He says, put on the what? The whole armor. Of God. And do you remember what that last piece of armor is that the feet are called? Have your feet shod with what? The gospel. Isn't that neat? What Paul says here matches up with what he says in Ephesians 6. Here's the point here when you're giving the gospel, that protects you from sin and from Satan's attacks because you're obeying the Lord. And that's putting on the whole armor of God. Giving the gospel is a command. We must obey it. And when you obey the Lord, you're walking with the Lord that protects you from disobedience. It protects you from sin. You're doing what's right. You're trusting the Lord and your obedience there. One last blessing that we should remember from a passage like this, another passage to write down, 2 Corinthians 2.16. 2 Corinthians 2.16. I already had this down before I found out that our missionary next week will be preaching from part of that message. So it kind of works out well. But 2 Corinthians 2.16, Paul says, our message that we give, it's a, it gives a scent. And that gospel message gives a scent. To those who don't believe it, it's the scent of death and judgment. Because if you don't believe the gospel, you're rejecting the Lord. And that is eternal destruction. That same gospel sent to those who believe it, remember what Paul says? That's the scent of life. It's a sweet smelling aroma. God always accomplishes what his message does, what he sends it to do. He doesn't send you on a fool's errand. We want to see people saved. But if they don't believe, was God's message not powerful enough? Did God's message not accomplish what he sent it to do? It did. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.16. It confirms their unbelief and their judgment. Coming back to what I said at the beginning. Why do we have tracts? Gospel of John studies. Scripture truth cards. Missionaries. Perm is this sort of thing. Think a minute about our area here. I know some of you live outer the radius of what I'm going to do, but uh, just think about our radius, 10 to 15 miles. 10 to 15 miles, we have about 50,000 people. I love talking to my city pastor friends, and they're in these mega cities, and I have to get 10 to 15 miles to get 50,000 people. In our little radius here, how many genuine believers do you think are present? 50,000 people. How many genuine believers do you think there are? We have no clue, do we? 40,000 genuine believers? Any in favor of that? 30,000? I kind of sound like Abraham, don't I? Lord, if they are just 20... Think there's a thousand? Two thousand? Five thousand? Mm. So maybe we'll just kind of hang around one or two thousand. We don't know, do we? How many good churches are in that 10 to 15 mile radius in that scope there? Or in the areas outside ours? If there's only one or two thousand believers, what is that saying about the spiritual state and destiny of the others? What are they? They are lost, aren't they? How many are those? 48 to 49,000 people. Our congregation right now is decimated by vacation. It's a plague.
1: <laughs> Nobody
0: sh- oh wait, what are we going to do this week? We're going to go it, visit kids and grandkids. If everyone's here, we have in the 40s in our congregation. How does that compare percentage-wise with 40,000 How do you feel about the fact that almost 50,000 people are enemies of God? Almost 50,000 people are lost. That they don't live for the Lord, they live for themselves. If they were to die now, they would suffer in hell forever. How do you feel about that? Isn't it sad that we can just kind of get used to our regular lives and our church stuff that we don't think about that? Look at chapter 9, verse 1. How did Paul feel? He said, chapter 9, verse 1 I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. And he continues to go on. Great sorrow. Continual grief. What did Paul do? Go back to chapter 10, verse 1. What did that feeling result in? The action that it brought. Chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And it wasn't just a, a good feeling and a nice knowledge and a few prayers. He acted on it. He did bring the gospel to them. When you go to Dollar General or Family Dollar, when you get some gas and you see people around, look at them from Christ's perspective. They have a soul. And we are here. God saved you. He's formed us into a church so that we will be this herald and bringing them the good news. These 48,000 people, they think that they are just fine Most of them think that they are just fine before God. Most of them think God's going to grade in the curve. Some don't even believe in God, so it doesn't matter. I'm just going to go to dust. This is it. Some think that their good works and their religion will help them out in the end. We must bring them the gospel. Last thing for you in the bottom of your sheet. The church that proclaims the gospel believes the gospel. The church that proclaims the gospel believes the gospel. Are we commanded to give this? We sure are. We need to do it more than just because we're commanded, though that's reason enough. Is it the only way that they will be saved? yes, we must give them the gospel. We must do that. We could make this statement into a negative. And this negative way to put it is rather sobering the church that does not the church that does not proclaim the gospel will soon not believe the gospel once you start down the road of disobedience that will as that becomes more of a characteristic of a church body once you start down that road of disobedience it will lead to more disobedience. And what did we learn about about obedience, verse 16? It is an aspect of faith, isn't it? Once you start disobeying, you got to justify it somehow. So what do we do with these passages? Well, and once you start going down that road, it's just a matter of time until it's no longer a lamp of the Lord. And he removes that. It might have a shell and an appearance. It might have a name. Sounds like Revelation, doesn't it? Remember the church is there, but it is dead. If you haven't trusted Christ, God's command is believe. Or a Bible church. What privilege do we have as this church? What privilege do we have to hold forth this message? So my question for us What do our feet look like? What are our feet doing? Where should they be going? What should they be doing? Let's use the feet that the Lord's given us in the the days and years the Lord has for us, however long or short that might be, to bring this gospel to the lost. Let's pray.